You can hardly imagine it. It's hard to even begin to try to wrap your mind around. But there was a time when the world was perfect and beautiful and good. No sin, no sickness, no sorrow. It was exactly as God intended it. Literal utopia. And in that world that God created, there were two people, Adam and Eve. And as they lived in God's perfect world, doing what God had said to do, enjoying the blessings and the favor of their creator, things could not have been any better. Things could not have been any more perfect until the moment. Until the very moment when our ancient foe, our enemy, pictured in Genesis as the serpent, asked a question. The question is found on page 3 in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 3, if you're not using the Pew Bible. Page 3 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have one of your own, I hope you'll turn there. Because what question he asked wasn't, a, wasn't just for that moment in Genesis chapter 3. What question he asked pervades all throughout the story of Scripture. It is, I am convinced, the way in which the enemy of God and the enemy of us works to erode and shatter our faith. Genesis chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Now, I, we, we know probably the rest of the story and how Eve answered the question and then went on to bring sin into the world along with her husband, Adam, who was there. But, but this whole problem began with that four-word question, did God really say? The question was designed very specifically. See, our enemy has a plan. He has a battle plan. And, and the thing that the enemy was de- striking the heart of was the heart, the cord of doubt. He plucked it, bing, and it began to resonate in the human heart and all throughout the human story, doubt in God's word, doubt in God himself. Yes, God had really said, but Satan wanted them to doubt what God had said and to begin erode to erode their trust in him and his word. You see, our problems all began with that one single question. Did God really say? And, and today, our problems are continually rooted in that question. Instead of doubt, as we talk about faith in this series called Faith Fully, what we want to do is begin in the opposite way of doubt, and that is, with trust. Faith begins by trusting in God's word. Now, of course, Adam and Eve didn't have a book. They didn't even have a scroll. They simply had the word of their creator. And God had told them what to do, but it was up to them whether or not they would trust him enough to do what he said. Now, for us today, we have the advantage. We have scrolls that were converted and, and made. Many of us have so many Bibles. I, I have countless number of Bibles in my office and in my home. We have uh, all throughout, at, at just, 
just at, at the, you know, typing into Google, we can find instantly so much of God's word. But, but that's not matter. What does not matter is how much of God's word is available to us. The question is how much of God's word is going to be within us. See, the, the writer of the book of Romans, we're in the New Testament, Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is writing about the message of salvation to all people. And he's talking about the importance of preaching the word and, and sending the word out. And here's what he says. Uh, this is uh, page 1213 in the Pew Bible. If you're following along, if, if you know your Bible, just turn to Romans chapter 10. He says in verse 14 of Romans 10, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says Lord who has believed what he has heard from us so faith this is verse 17 so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, or the word of God, depending on the translation. You see, faith, as it did for Adam and Eve, for us is the same way. Faith begins by hearing the word of God. Now, what I mean by that is not, do you hear me now? Right, right now, this very moment, as I'm preaching the word of God, there are some people not paying attention. They're, they're not listening. They're hearing me, but they're not hearing me. Okay, that, What we're talking about is listening not in, in terms of, can you audibly hear my voice? But I mean, can you, are you hearing the word of God? Paul says, faith begins, faith comes from hearing the words of Christ. That's why at Northside, is, is we place such a strong emphasis in Bible classes and devotional times and preaching. That we want you to hear from God's word. We have cases of these Bibles in a room, in this building, for the purpose of getting you the Word of God and getting you into the Word. We have a television ministry that's been going on for 34 years now. And the whole purpose is to get people, in, not in front of their TV, but in front of the Word of God, that they might hear the Word of God. Why is that important? Because there's something about these words. There's something about these words that impact the human heart. There is a divinely inspired element to these words which make this book different from any other book these words different from any other words perfect divinely inspired as as the prophet isaiah would say in isaiah 55 it's like the rain coming down from heaven that accomplishes his will in our hearts so we have to have open ears and open hearts to the word this is where faith begins John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying. He's praying over his disciples, and he prayed specifically for this. Uh, uh, listen to this. This is page 1159, the Pew Bible, uh, John chapter 17 in your own Bible. He says this, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is true. Now, I mean, really, Jesus draws a line right there in the sand. This is true or it isn't. 
There is no halfway. See, sometimes in the world, the world loves certain parts of Scripture. Boy, 1 Corinthians 13, oh, that's beautiful. Love, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not. I mean, it just is beautiful. And, and, and even worldly people love 1 Corinthians 13, but they don't like other parts of the Bible. And, and if we're not careful, we as religious people can do that too. We can pick and choose our own verses that we like. And God wants us to yield and hear and abide in the truth. And Jesus said, the truth of God's word is what would sanctify and set apart and make holy his disciples. I love that. You see, truth, truth is not majority opinion. The, world, the world's opinion is going to change on a lot of things. I was meeting with a guy yesterday. Some of you know Uncle Wayne. I was meeting with Uncle Wayne yesterday. Uncle Wayne was born in 1920. He'll turn 100 years old in June of this year. We were talking about how much the world had changed. As we talked about it, it occurred to me that though the world had changed in that hundred years, God's word is still exactly the same. It is immovable. It's bedrock. You can't change it. You see, in God's word, if God says it's wrong, it's wrong. Even if the entire world disagrees, it's bedrock, you understand. And if God says it's right, it's right even if, you're, even if only one single solitary person on the planet believes and trusts the word. Just ask Noah. When God says it's right, it's right regardless of how many people believe it. When God says it's wrong, it's wrong no matter how many people buy into it. So we must ground ourselves in what's bedrock. We, we point ourselves to the true north and we align ourselves to that. Truth is not majority opinion. Truth is not what you feel or think. Truth is only what God says is true. Only God's truth can save. The Apostle Paul knew the word well. He was familiar with it uh, far more than most people are. He had been taught by some of the best rabbis, a rabbi by the name of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew the word of God. Now he's writing to a, a young preacher named Timothy. If you're following along in your Bible, I hope that you are, turn to page 1275 in the Pew Bible or turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul in this letter, which we would call a book, but it, it's really a letter, <clears throat> he starts by saying this, Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned. What you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how, this is verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. I love, we sing that song. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. Paul agrees with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now pay attention to this. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may turn off his cell phone, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good 
work. Did you gather that? The word is there, and it's a unique book. And that it is, it is there for our teaching, our correction, our training in righteousness, that we, and he says man of God, he's talking about human beings, maybe may be absolutely competent, may be fully equipped for every good work. God's word is divine instruction. And it is given to us that it might teach us and correct us and train us as, we, as God wants us to be. If, if you're reading the, the word of God, and the word of God doesn't ever step on your toes or correct you or, or just completely convict you, my, my contention is you're, you're not completely reading the word of God. The word of God isn't designed to be something that you always agree with. There will be times when you read it and you go, oh, God, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, no, I don't, I'm guilty of that. Oh, no. You see, this book is designed to make you into who God wants you to be. And that's what God's truth does. The challenge is... We live in a sort of a post-truth world. It's one of the more dangerous times to be living as a Christian. One of the more dangerous ideas is this simple, profound lie known as your truth. Live your truth. You are your truth. And this is nothing more than garbage. There is not your truth and my truth. There is only God's truth. Now, now, now can, I, can I just tell you for just a second? My job is to preach that book. You see, don't put your faith in the preacher. Put your faith in the word. My job is to preach the word. I, I don't even have all the truth. My heart is deceitful. My mind doesn't know all the facts. I, I am an imperfect human being preaching a perfect word. My understanding is finite, but God's is infinite. My life is limited, but God's truth is unlimited. My life has a beginning and an end. God's word has no beginning and no end. It's always true. Trusting God's word is about trusting his word and his ways above my own. And that's not always easy to do. When my opinion differs with what God's word says, you know what my job is? To change my opinion as quickly as possible. That's what we mean by, by understanding that I don't have truth. I aspire to know God. As, as Paul would say, I desire to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is the personification of truth. My job is to yield to him. So may we understand that this is a lie. You don't have the truth, and neither do I, except where we have God's word. That is what's true. Now, the world mocks at such an idea. Oh, come on. That, that is highly intolerant. You should be much more tolerant of so many other worldviews and other people and other truths. They, you haven't lived their experience. You don't know. You can't feel what they feel. I mean, this is a, this is a big thing. Sorry, I've got to preach to millennials here. This is a big thing. Everybody feels now. I mean, you even hear, listen to you talk. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like. Well, can I gently say, so what? 
Feelings don't matter. Even our facts aren't always fully complete. So when we humble ourselves and we understand that our feelings, you know, Adam and Eve felt like maybe eating the fruit, partaking of what God said not to. We have to understand that we don't have truth. God has truth. So may we not strive to live out your truth. May we align ourselves with God's truth. Imagine trying to construct a, a building, and you have different subcontractors coming in, and they're, they're all doing, you know, building different walls and, and putting together drywall. There's just one thing. They all choose to live their own truth. Every single one of them has a 25-foot tape measure, but all the lengths of those tape measures are different. Things would quickly descend into chaos, wouldn't they? You'd never get anything built. And anything that was built wouldn't last because you've got differing standards. We understand this in every area of life. At some point, there has to be something upon which we all agree, that we would agree that is truth. The same is true in life. We have to choose whether we want to live by our truth or whether we want to live by God's truth. There's so many examples of this, but... I thought what I would do this morning is share a story. It's a story of a girl who at one point was living her own truth. And her story is convicting. I want to share it with you. I was 15 and I started dating a girl that lived down the street from me. It was my first time ever dating someone and being official. I was pretty pumped. I got a hickey. My dad saw it and was livid. I love her. It's a girl, and I'm going to be with her, and this is how it is. Yeah, it went terribly. I guess she told some people, and so they came to me and asked me, Are you and her gay together? I can either cower away or I can own it, so I'm going to own it. I said, Yeah, what about it? Love is not necessarily between a man and a woman. The problem was backwards thinking. But if you were truly a Christian, you were on my side. And if not, you were legalistic and you needed to reread what God was really about. Judge not. God being loved meant God was nice and God was chill with what you were cool with. By 18 and 19 and 20, I was super wild and in serial relationships with women. When I got to nursing school, I met the girl that I ended up being engaged to. I kind of slowed down a little bit for her because she had two kids. And then at 22, I got invited to a Bible study. I expected them to bring up my lifestyle really early and then would use that as justification for not coming back. So I agreed to go. Different women in the circle were talking about different experiences they had. I have nothing like that, and it bugged me. I could not stop thinking, what if all of it's true? Are you sure this is who you are? I couldn't stop questioning. I need to feel okay. Because I don't feel okay anymore. I googled verses on homosexuality. Those who practice homosexuality, which was me and also drunkards and a, a bunch of other things that I would have been. 
I realized that I was in the Will I Enter the Kingdom of God lineup, and it scared me really, really bad. And then I read verse 11, and it says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. I realized that there are people in the same place, and they were saved, and they were changed. And that, that God could do that for me too, and that I needed that. I could hold on to my sin and reject God, or I could turn to Him. All the debt that I'd racked up living like I lived didn't have to be mine if I could trust Him. So that was it. I knew what I wasn't going to do because it was right there, it was black and white. I'd twisted those scriptures before. I'd argued them down. I'd said judge not to them like that mattered. And then that day, it was like my eyes were really opened. I was amazed at the grace he'd shown me. People say to me all the time, I was born this way. I say, okay, yeah, me too. You're not born with right affections. That's why Jesus had to come. You feeling a desire for sin just proves you need grace like me. It's not gay to straight. It's lost to saved. God calls us not to heterosexuality, but to holiness. Even though the world would paint a, a totally different story about what sexuality is and isn't, God's word is clear and he can save, and he does, and he will. It was right there in black and white. The power of the word. Why it's so important for us to understand that this holy book, this holy word, has the power to change life steeped in sin, to change it forever. May we never forget that the words which you and I read and study and understand are life giving, life-changing, eternity-changing word. The world didn't correct her, but the word did. The world would say, just, just live your truth, just, just live as you want to live, just, just enjoy it and be happy. That's what God wants, and the word said, no, no, no. God has better things for you. You see, faith not just not only begins by trusting in the word, but bringing us to the very same point that she came to. Regardless of what our sin is, she had to come to the point where she didn't just believe the word, that she actually chose to yield to the word. When we look at God's word, when we read it, we can twist it, we can argue it, we can put it, we can say, well, this scripture, you know, this explains this. You're, you, you're going to go to college and you're going to get very smart people who say, well, we're more sophisticated now than this ancient book. You see, you're only bigoted if you believe the, the craziness of that book. And I'll give you all the reasons why. But it's this word which changed you. And it's this word which will change your children and your families. And we only experience that kind of change when we begin to trust it and when we begin to yield to it. Faith begins 
in trusting God's word and in yielding our lives and our hearts to the word. You see, the blessing comes only when we choose to do what God says to do. Turn in the ancient word to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Jesus here is speaking to the Jews who had believed him. This is page 1148 in the Pew Bible. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. This is John 8, 31. If, catch this, this is so beautiful. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. It's not just a matter of calling Jesus Lord. It's a matter of abiding in his word. And then he says, oh, I love this. And, and the story that we saw bears it out. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Ah, oh, I love watching people being set free. Set free from sin, sin of all kinds. When we come to the truth and decide to yield to it. You want to be a slave to sin? It's pretty easy. Just live your truth. But if you want to be free from sin, and it means living by God's truth. That's what Jesus said. May we, may we know the truth and not just know it. May we allow it to set us free. The brother of Jesus, James, we had just finished up our Sunday morning Bible classes on the book of James. And at the very beginning of that book, he says something that I've always loved. He says, don't, don't listen to the word. You say, that's kind of strange. Oh, go ahead and turn James chapter 1, verse, uh, page 1291 in this book. James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You say, faith begins in trusting God's word and faith continues as we yield to God's word. May we then, as we trust that word, that holy word, long preserved for our walk in this world, may we not only trust it, may we listen to its promises. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul, writing to a church that struggled with sin, sins of all types, division, Anger, gossip, sexual immorality, all kinds of sin. And, and this is, in fact, these are the scriptures that the, the young lady had read. Page 1223 in the Pew Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. 
My question as we come to a close this morning is this. Do you agree with God's word? Not do you agree with the preacher. (laughs) There's lots of people who don't. (laughs) Do you agree with the word? I would expect you to say yes, but let me be very clear. The word says some things about you and I. The word says, number one, we all fall short. We all miss the mark. We all, compared to God's standard of goodness, are not good. And we all need the sanctification and the atonement of Jesus Christ. We are all sinners in need of a holy Savior. All right, you say, yes, I agree with that. All right, then how do I... Do I get to a Savior? Some preachers will say, well, now I'm just going to have just a moment here. Would you just bow your heads and say a little prayer with me, and then you'll have Jesus in your heart. But the Word doesn't say that. You you won't find that in this book. Some people say, well, all you have to do is just believe. Just just say, Lord, I believe, and, and you will have Jesus. But the Word doesn't say that either. Jesus said, believe. And be baptized, and you will be saved. All right, then. Do do you agree with the word? Have you done that? Well, I don't agree with that. You see, my grandmother, my my, my family, I I just couldn't, I, I don't really. Listen, that's not the question. I ask you, did you agree with the word? And ask you if you, if you would mold it to, to fit whatever you already believe coming in here. Are you willing to believe it and yield to it? All right, then. Yes, I've done that. Okay. Are you walking in the light? Uh, This morning, the question is simply, do you agree with the word? Do you trust the word and are you yielding yourself to it? The word's always going to be true, but whether or not you yield to it is completely up to you. It's in your hands. You've got to make the choice. And so my, my question was to talk about faith. Faith begins the word of God. It begins by trusting God's word. For Adam and Eve, it was trusting that what he said was true. Had they had done that, we wouldn't be where we are today. But they did. And so Jesus came. And he came to live and to die for us and to redeem us from sin. And we can have his saving blood be washed, be changed, be sanctified through Jesus. And and he said simply, if you'll believe and be baptized, Peter said, for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you agree with that this morning and you're ready to do it, I invite you to join us down front. If you're in Christ and you need our prayers, you need our help, you need our encouragement as a family, as a body of Christ, meet me and one of our shepherds down front and we'll pray with you and for you. If you have any need of this body this morning, if you need to yield to the word, come now as together we stand and sing.